On this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, we discuss the latest news and information in the industry. And in our focus segment, we discuss supply chain challenges and how to deal with them in the future with an interview with Dunstan Alameda, the founder of Trivalence. Welcome to the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, the longest-running podcast specifically focused on the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. We'd like to thank our sponsor of this episode, Trivalence. Trivalence offers a comprehensive next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, enabling actionable data insights. For more information about Trivalence, visit their website at trivalence.com. That's T-R-I-V-A-L-E-N-C-E.com. Welcome to episode 173 of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey for October 31st, 2022, recording live from our studios in Spencerport, New York. This is Sue Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC Podcast with John Gailey and Senior Nurse Consultant for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. The ASC regulatory environment is extremely dynamic and the material provided in this episode is based on information available as of the date of recording. Joining me is John Gailey, the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, he is recognized as one of the nation's leading experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. Mr. Gailey is the author of over 10 books on the ASC industry and a frequent industry speaker on regulatory accreditation and finance issues. So, Sue, what do you think of all the new fancy equipment that we have in the studio here? Well, it's a lot more colorful than the last <laughs> stuff, what, the last one, and a lot smaller. Well, the board itself. Yeah, that, we decided to make an investment in some of the newer technology mm -hmm. out there, which, as you pointed out, is actually smaller than the old technology. And uh, we had a chance to take it for a spin during the uh, uh, the Director of Nursing Boot Camp, which mm -hmm. just ended here. And everything was pretty flawless. Hopefully, the quality of the sound will be a little more consistent now. Yep. Um, and now we actually have a similar equipment when we take on the road, which hopefully will improve that. That's one of mm -hmm. the challenges we've had. Is some of the we've just finished a bunch of of uh, state association meetings and the equipment we've been using hasn't always been the, the highest quality, so for which we apologize. But uh, we did have a, a great uh, director of nursing boot camp. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we had a great group, didn't we? had a we? great group. They asked a lot of great questions. Mm -hmm. They kept us on our toes. We were stumped a couple times, weren't we? We, we had researchers kind of uh, in the background quickly mm -hmm. looking things up because uh, we had questions that we weren't always prepared for. Yep, but it makes it interesting. It does. Like, and, and, and like people always say, you know, if we don't, know the answer. If somebody doesn't know the answer, you know, there's always a way to find it. So so we had to look into a couple of them. And that was, uh, that of course makes the uh, the conference that much more interesting mm -hmm. there. So, uh, and then uh, we also have a lot of new members to our growing patron program. Um, and also our uh, our website for the patron program, unfortunately, has been uh, suffering from, uh, from the, the, the huge, from the increase in the number of users. So we're uh, 
And we're looking to launch uh, the, this new website within the next couple months, which will uh, be better able to handle our uh, program, uh, the resources that we provide to everybody. And by the way, we're looking into offering some additional programs uh, in addition to the $25 a month program that we have right now. And if you think about it, that $25 a month program is a great deal to us to be able to stop in weekly and visit with us by Zoom and and the access to all that great uh, uh, information that we have there. So uh, we're hoping to make this program even better and offer some uh, additional resources out there. So, Sue, let's talk about some of the recent news. So the first item is something I saw in Becker's Hospital Review from October 28th. A woman in South Carolina was using someone else's nursing license to apply for work as an RN, and she was able to work at seven different facilities over a period of 16 months. These were assisted living, um, rehab, and post-acute care facilities. So just another example of you just can't take somebody's license or what they write down the license number. You have to verify it. That's crazy. Yeah, we we ran into a situation a a while Mm -hmm. ago uh, where a a director of nursing, actually, who actually hadn't uh, practiced um, uh, yeah, they'd worked there, but they had not done actual nursing duties, fortunately. Right. But and, and they caught it very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, you know, we the, the this particular organization didn't check before he started working there. Yeah, uh, and uh, so please, please, whenever you're doing credentialing for your employees, your uh, credential providers, do double check those licenses. You might be surprised sometimes. Yeah, and I'm really I'm curious to hear more details on this. It was kind of just announced and they're just looking into it. So I don't know. But, you know, so she had worked two and a half months or so at each place. So you wonder, like, why nobody caught. Obviously, she was not performing her job well. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Or she left quickly. I know. I know. (laughs) So I'm surprised nobody ever, that she didn't get caught earlier. Yeah. And and it is surprising that seven facilities didn't uh, didn't do what they should be doing and double checking this information. So. And so we didn't mention any names, obviously, but I I don't think she's been convicted. So I don't know. Maybe we have to say allegedly, but. (laughs) And again, uh, we need to emphasize Mm -hmm. it wasn't in the ambulatory surgery industry. Yes. And in the October 27th OR manager, they discussed a study conducted by researchers at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio, that looked into um, the effect of the environment during general anesthesia on children's postoperative behavior after a tonsillectomy and adenoidectomy. They found that children who had a quieter environment with lower um, ambient lighting and fewer personnel in and out of the room were less fussy about eating and had fewer temper tantrums and were more involved in their surroundings in the five days after surgery. And that's really important with kids because I know when I was a pediatric nurse in the hospital, kids were sometimes admitted from either a different unit in the hospital or surgery center for a day or so just because they they were, you know, very grumpy waking up from anesthesia and they wouldn't eat or drink. And then, you know, you're dealing with having to do IVs and, and they have to really recover and everything gets more dry because they're not drinking and it can really lead to, you know, a longer stay. So I think that was some important information for any centers that, you know, deal with children. And and probably it, it probably is adults too. I think there's more effect to that time when they're under general anesthesia. They're, they still are aware of what's going on around them, I suppose, in some way. Yeah, I think we sometimes just assume that when they're out during the uh, anesthesia that uh, nothing is going on mm-hmm. and they can't mm-hmm. hear anything or understand anything. And this this study just proves yet again that uh, we have to be very careful whenever a patient is uh, is in front of us. Mm-hmm. Great, great information. 
And a study was done by the University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing that looked at the potential effect of the proposed legislation in New York State for setting minimum nurse-to-patient ratios for hospitals. So I know this was specifically for New York State. I, I believe it has passed years ago in, in California, but I still I think it's important for anybody, you know, anybody in any states and all different healthcare facilities, although this was specific to hospitals, to think about the effect of having too few nurses because it's something we're all struggling with. Um, the study involved 116 hospitals and over 400,000 Medicare patients. And here are some of the things that they found. Um, the patient-to-nurse ratios ranged from between an average of 4.3 patients per nurse to as many as 10.4 patients per nurse, which is a pretty high load, um, depending on the you know where you are. But I think for any unit, 10 yeah. is too many. Um, each additional patient added to the nurse's workload was associated with a 13% higher risk of mortality and an 8% higher readmission rate and 9% higher likelihood, if they were surgical patients, of staying an extra day. So I know it's expensive to have more nurses, but that that's guess, a huge cost when people are being readmitted. I guess they're proving yet again that it is even higher cost mm-hmm. uh, having mm-hmm. fewer. In other words, if they uh, had more Invest, nurses, they yeah. would have less of a uh, length of stay. Yeah, and they estimated that just two years with um, the recommended staffing of no more than four patients per nurse, which is what they said. And I got and I say I said there's individual recommendations based on you know like in the ICU it might be one to one. Could prevent more than 4,370 deaths in that two years and save over $720 million just on Medicare patients alone. And, you know, they made the point now, staffing obviously is a huge challenge right now, but they noted that in California, they successfully implemented this quite a few years ago. Um, although at the time, they had, and maybe now, I don't know, but I know at least at the time, they had fewer nurses per capita than New York State does. So they just found ways around that. And I know one of the things they mentioned is being part of that state-to-state contract where your state can take nurses from other areas. So in New York State, in order to do that during the pandemic, there had to be a special order. Right. But, you know, maybe doing things like that allows you to pull nurses from other places or makes it a little easier for people to move around. But it's certainly worth looking into and just, you know, and even in the in, in the surgery centers, I know sometimes we it, it's a struggle to convince people that they really have to have, be staffed, you know, with enough RNs and that LPNs or medical assistants can't take that place. Right. And, you know, this just kind of makes a that point. real challenge right now given how mm-hmm. few nurses mm-hmm. there are um, that are, are interested in coming into the industry. And I, I think that we're going to continue to have these mm-hmm. challenges going into 2023. So let's just hope let's hope those schools are pumping out some more nurses there. That's I the thing. Hopefully this is a two or three or four pronged, you know, effort where maybe they mandate certain um, levels, but then, you know, really boost those schools and, and right. maybe do something to help the nurses get, you know, afford school or something. I don't know. We need more one way or the other. And then uh, there was an article in the Mid-Hudson News, which is a local newspaper in, in Mid-Hudson, New York. And uh, it's about one of our surgery centers, one of our clients, and that is uh, the Duchess Ambulatory Surgery Center on Davis Avenue in uh, in Duchess County in the town of Poughkeepsie. Outgrew its uh, facilities, and they uh, uh, were planning on relocating to another location in town. And it turns out that the Duchess County Industrial Development Agency granted financial incentives for the, the group of owners to relocate into a new facility uh, as that 
the facility that they had been in, which only had two operating rooms, was insufficient for the volume of cases they were doing. And Kathy Hickman was quoted during the uh, the smart, uh, newspaper article for uh, really spearheading this whole uh, effort with the Industrial Development Agency. And Sue, uh, back when I developed uh, my last surgery center before I became an, a, a mm-hmm. consultant, uh, we did the same thing. And uh, when I started that center in Rochester, New York, we got a significant amount of tax abatements mm-hmm. uh, to help us to uh, build a new facility. But I thought what was interesting here is here's an organization that has been in existence for quite a while, uh, being able to call upon uh, IDA funding to be able to uh, expand to a new location. And if I remember the article, it talked about another 20 employees being added to this organization. Huh. So uh, so that's just something to think about as you're <clears throat> developing new surgery centers or if you're looking into expanding your surgery centers, maybe there's some financial incentives out there for you to build this new facility. And Sue, probably the biggest news I saved for last, and that is that we do have some revised guidance for staff vaccination requirements. So QSO 2302-ALL was issued on October 26th, just last week. And it stated this, the CMS is revising its guidance and survey procedures for all provider types related to assessing and maintaining compliance with the staff vaccination regulatory requirements. And interestingly, Sue, during uh, our boot camp, we were talking about how rare it is for the Department of Health to change uh, the, I'm sorry, how rare it is for CMS to change the conditions for coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, and indeed, they did not change the conditions for coverage, but they are changing the interpreted guidelines mm-hmm. here. So we're going to provide a link to this particular QSO so that you can read this for yourself. But I'll just give you the um, kind of the rundown on what changes had made. Uh, first of all, one of the things is that we all of the QSOs that have been issued over the last year related to the vaccine mandate got very confusing because confusing because of the various states that were involved. Now they've all been consolidated into one memo here. And so this memorandum replaces all the previous QSOs related to the vaccine mandate. And what was interesting here is it also finally recognized how onerous it had been for surveyors and how uh, it took a focus away from patient care issues mm-hmm. and especially infection control. So the revisions address the frequency of review of the staff vaccination requirements as well as immediate jeopardy, condition level, and actual harm determinations to ensure that deficiency citations recognize the good faith efforts of the organizations and trying to assure uh, that their providers, their suppliers, and their employees were fully vaccinated. There is still an expectation of 100% compliance. And if you don't have 100% compliance, you will have a citation for non-compliance. But it did state that failure to meet the 100% will not automatically result in termination of your certification. So this is the uh, revisions to the interpretive guidelines. So in situations indicating egregious noncompliance, such as a complete disregard for the requirements, it should be uh, cited as condition level. And examples of egregious noncompliance would include more than 50% of the staff being unvaccinated unless exempted or temporarily delayed, and or policies and procedures uh, which have not been implemented as required by the statute. When there was egregious cases of noncompliance, state survey agencies should notify CMS uh, the, the local CMS location of the information. Now, I, I thought this was interesting, too. They did say, regardless of the facility's compliance with the staff vaccination requirements, surveyors should closely investigate infection prevention and control practices to assure proper practices are in use, such as proper use of PPE, transmission precautions, which reflect current standards of practice, and other relevant infection prevention and control practices that are designed to designed to minimize the transmission of COVID-19. So I actually think this was a very good QSO that was issued here. I think 
it uh, really helps to clarify things for surveyors. And as I've been talking about, and uh, Lori and Ann, my colleagues who are also surveyors with Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, we really felt that the amount of time, sometimes an hour uh, spent during a survey to review all of the vaccination records was not the most efficient use of our mm-hmm. time when there are so many other things that I think are more important, such as looking at the infection control practices of uh, the organization to make sure that they're maintaining that high standard of care. So this doesn't seem that huge of a change to me. It's a little underwhelming, I guess, to me. And maybe I haven't haven't absorbed all the details yet, but it seems like, so basically you still are supposed to be 100% compliance. Um, if you're less than 50%, it's a big deal, obviously, and that they are encouraging you to still look at all the other infection prevention and control practices. Well, the the original guidance that was provided uh, had a worksheet that you had to fill out, you know, with a whole bunch of uh, of columns that, you know, if you had okay. a certain number, then you had to issue an immediate jeopardy, et cetera. Really what they're getting down to, and they recognize in the introduction to this QSO that there was a decrease in the amount of infections right now and in the spread, and that perhaps we are uh, taking or spending too much time during a survey Mm-hmm. Uh, focusing on that information when there's yeah. so many other valuable things that we should be doing. So they didn't really change the expectation as much. It's just that they're not requiring you to use this very complicated tool and take up so much time and, and focus on that so that it takes you away from all the right and, and the original issues. Right. And the original guidance also talked quite a bit about um, staff interviews, which really had been yeah. uh, removed from this. So I, I oh, think good. this will reduce the amount of time surveyors mm-hmm. are going to mm-hmm. focus on this. And perhaps really be able to get back down to the more basic uh, stuff yeah. that they should be looking at. Which is so. good because I think during COVID there there were articles saying that, you know, other infections, line infections and right. all of that had begun to increase because there was so much focus on everything else and short staffing, of course. Yeah. And, and of course, we, we have to remember that this is COVID, but who knows what's coming. You know, we have mm-hmm. the flu even right now, which we should be protecting. Mm-hmm. RSV is big yeah. with little kids right now. So let's hope that this is going to result in a little bit more efficient uh, surveys and and maybe it'll take some of the pressure off of mm-hmm. us surveyors so that we can focus yeah. on those things that are are still extremely important yes. where you know whereas really now the the vaccination rates are getting quite mm-hmm. uh, quite high. So Sue, I had an opportunity in New York City a couple of weeks ago to sit down with Dunstan Almeida and he is the founder of Trivalence, a, a company that's really getting into uh, some innovative uh, activities in the uh, purchasing cycle. And what we want to do is we want to kind of uh, discuss some of the supply chain challenges and how to deal with them in the future. Uh, so this uh, this interview was uh, partly to talk about what's going on in the supply chain and partly to see about some innovative opportunities that uh, actually are free uh, to be able to uh, deal with some of the challenges that we all have right now. So let's take a short break. and we come back, we'll have this interview with Dunstan Almeida. Are you ordering supplies for your surgery center from multiple websites? Do you use manual processes or even paper printouts to manage your purchase orders, receipts, and invoices? Are you still paying your suppliers through the slow and expensive process of paper checks? Trivalence is an innovative technology solution that optimizes your ASC's performance and removes the frustration from daily tasks to allow you to do more with less. 
The Trivalent Solution streamlines the disjointed supply chain in your busy surgery center. From ordering supplies, to managing your purchase orders, receipts and invoices, to making payments. And it was designed from the ground up by healthcare professionals for healthcare professionals. We believe you deserve a simple solution, so we're offering our platform to ASCs for free. Try simple. Try innovative. Try Valence. Visit trivalence.com slash free to learn more now. That's trivalence.com slash free. So this is John Geely. I'm uh, here actually in downtown Manhattan uh, with uh, Dustin Almeida, who is the founder and CEO for Trivalence. And uh, we've been talking for a couple months now. You, uh, Trivalence is one of our newest sponsors here. I pre- deeply appreciate your support of the podcast. And this is actually the first time that we've been able to get together to, uh, to talk. And the subject today is supply chain and trying to save money. Let's, I'll preface this by saying that we all recognize in the entire economy right now, uh, there are challenges with staffing, there's challenges with the supply chain, there's challenges with inflation. Uh, and of course, all those things hit surgery centers just like any other business. So talking specifically about surgery centers right now, you are working on developing a model, but let's talk about the supply chain and the challenges that we're facing right now that you see in the industry. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on, John. It's it's great to uh, be here in downtown Manhattan, be able to do a live face-to-face meeting for once. Yeah, and we stole a hotel room here, uh, <laughs> a, a meeting room here. Very nice. Thank you very much for the hotel to do that. But uh, Yes, yes, it's all good. And um, John and I are having a lively conversation here about, uh, even before we started, about yeah. how surgical centers are the right environment and the mm-hmm. right site of service to reduce and improve quality in the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. But what, um, as John alluded to, one of the things that we've all been impacted by, when I walk into the grocery store, I'm shocked how much groceries cost, is is this concept of my supplies, my labor, my inflation, my shipping has gone up tremendously, right? And it's one thing if you're a hospital or health system, John, and you've got a big balance sheet and a big budget and, you know, Sure, you're constrained, but you are dealing with multiple billions of dollars mm. to manage it. If you're a small ASC, a small clinic, um, what are you going to do? you got to make some tough choices. or uh, And if you've got turnover on your staff, like with critical positions like nursing, there's already not much you can do, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we did over the past uh, 15 to 18 months is talk to a lot of ASC leaders, small, mid-size, large, very large and the theme was consistent. They kept telling us, you know, my entire process to order stuff, medical supplies, devices, implants, pins, is paper-based, it's manual, or I'm using very old technology that was built 15, 20 years ago. But that was just the beginning. Then, once they order the stuff, it might show up, it might not show up, inventory might be in stock, it might not be in stock. They had to pay for the stuff. And the payment is done with paper. It's done with credit cards. It's done with all these very inefficient, you know, why are you paying 3 to 5% fees to a credit card company? Why are you using paper checks that you can't track? And McKesson tells you, ah, you know what? I didn't receive that check. And the worst part about all of this information being lost to fax and paper is that 
every single person I talked to, John, in the ASC and hospital industry when it came to orthopedics or, or MSK was, I want better data. Mm-hmm. I want my cost per case. I want metrics. I want a benchmark. I want to know, you know, can I get a better deal on my supplies? Can I negotiate a better contract? And honestly, if all your information is flowing through paper and facts, there's no way you can get good data. And, and so that was a lot of the inefficiencies uh, that you know exist in the system today. And really a big part of my decision to create this business was, how do we help these small mom and pop, small business ASCs? These small business owners, the entrepreneurial, the often physician-led or clinic-led or um, administrator-led, but they don't have the time, the resources, the energy uh, to manage all of this stuff like a mm-hmm. big hospital does, uh, like a big health system does. And so, you know, with all of these reimbursement pressures on top of that, like if, if life wasn't hard enough, CMS mm-hmm. is saying, hey, you know, you, you've seen the recent ASCA uh, uh, announcement about trying to lobby and get a better payment rate for, mm-hmm. um, for uh, surgeries this year. But recognizing that inflation has taken a huge bite out of our, our our bottom line and we haven't gotten very large increases for quite a number of years. Right. It's a single digit increase, you know, for, for ASCs. Yeah, I think CMS said it's like a 4% increase in reimbursement. Meanwhile, the cost of everything else is up by 10, 12, 15%. So net-net, you're getting a decrease in reimbursement mm-hmm. in real inflation-adjusted rates. And you're asked to do more with less. And so... A big chunk of, you know, our philosophical underpinning is how can we help you do more with less, right? And and that really is um, something that we all are thinking about. But how do you also put it into practice? It's easy to say do more with less. Mm-hmm. Where in your organization can you strip out some of these, uh, it, you know, administrative savings? Mm-hmm. We all know healthcare wastes a lot of money. And, and that's really cr- critical for us to to help figure out. And we've got, you know, the good news, John, is we've got a lot of great feedback from these owners, from these ASC executives, from administrators, uh, from CEOs all the way down to material managers and everyone in between who've been telling us, here's what I need to do better. And here's how, you know, uh, I can I can get to my, my nirvana, which is tell me in real time my cost per case, cost per procedure, cost per implant, so I can really manage my business well. Because we know the ASC business model works. It just is in a tough, you know, economic environment right now. And, and I think one challenge that we often have, and, and with our listeners here, a lot of our listeners tend to be the smaller surgery centers, though, you know, we have a lot of corporate-owned uh, mm-hmm. uh, listeners also, um, is that the problem that you're describing the problem that we're facing is the same regardless of whether you are a multi-million dollar, you know, 150 mm-hmm. site location or mm-hmm. just a mom and pop shop in that that purchase cycle is complex uh, and you uh, um, and and there's various ways of accessing it. Now, the smaller centers don't tend to have the technology that the larger ones do. Mm-hmm. So right now we have a lot of paper. We have a lot of phone calls. We have a lot of emails going back and forth. Mm-hmm. And that's what's inefficient. So let's just talk a little bit now about the ways that purchasing is done in the average surgery center and what's inefficient about that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, John, let me actually take it even one step further sure. and talk about why is it that when we as consumers, not as ASC or healthcare executives, when we buy stuff online, 
what is it about our experience that we like so much, right? Yeah, that's a good We point. love shopping at Amazon and eBay mm-hmm. and the e-commerce sites you go to. Because we can do it anywhere. Anywhere. I, I was waiting an hour for you because I, believe it or not, actually arrived early for the first time in my entire <laughs> life. And that's what I was doing. I was, you know, catching up on my shopping online and I could do it here on downtime. But you're absolutely right. right. And it's easy. You can do yep. it on an app, on an iPad. You can do it while you're waiting for your delayed flight at the airport. Yeah. And there's no friction, right? So if you're talking about transferring money, you use PayPal, Venmo, Zelle. Yeah. You use Apple Cash. You, you, you can do so much online. You know, Amazon as a marketplace is really interesting because you can buy whatever, three billion items at the click of your fingertips and have it shipped from Hong Kong to your doorstep in two days. Now, the fascinating thing you know, as a company that's run by healthcare professionals and, you know, we've all worked at places like Hopkins and Mayo and Cigna and Optum and all that is the minute we come to work, John, we forget about that. Mm-hmm. In our medical environment, we go from, hey, I can buy anything anywhere easily in real time and know exactly what I did to now I'm going to go to work. I yeah. get a fax. Uh, I get a you know old software system that was built in 1972 on language that no one understands. I need an IT guy to help me with you know entering patient information, and you go, why is it that that system is so broken? And fundamentally, I think it's because in healthcare we've always tried to push square pegs into round holes. Mm-hmm. ASCs were designed to be nimble and flexible, right? The entire outpatient industry is one that is thriving because we're high value and low cost. So everybody wants to have more outpatient centers, mm-hmm. whether it's surgic, whether it's um, orthopedics or cardiac uh, or you know urology or GI. It doesn't matter. We know that the setting works, but the technology hasn't evolved there. So you know one of the things that is really really neat is. When we were designing this, John, to answer your question, we said, why can't we take some of this amazing innovation in tech and fintech? You know, fintech is just a fancy way of saying, I can process your payments anywhere in the world electronically. Mm -hmm. Like if you have your mother-in-law and she's visiting, you know, she's touring in, you know, Timbuktu and she has an emergency, you, John, can actually transfer money via PayPal to her seamlessly across currencies in a nanosecond. And in healthcare, I guarantee you if we tried to do that across zip codes and time zones, it would take us like five days, right? right? So how do you make something that's simple, easy to use where you don't need a year to train yourself on some Mm -hmm. complex medical record technology? So why can't I have that intuitive UI, simple experience without being bound by, I need to be stuck to my desk Mm -hmm. and it has to be on my work PC, right? Why can't I be able to do all of that purchasing, payments, data, metrics, and create this connectivity? Uh, if I think about you know the best e-commerce companies, they're basically networks, right? Amazon mm-hmm. is a network of buyers and sellers. So is eBay. So uh, is Venmo. They're people buying and selling, and they've connected the dots electronically and said, yeah, you know what? All you need is an internet browser. It's secure. Mm-hmm. It's trustworthy. It works beautifully. You got confirmation right away. So if you took those DNA, right, that design DNA, that fundamental design concept and applied it to healthcare, you'd say, I want these folks who are running these operations who are really busy, whether it's the nurse, the OR tech, or the materials manager, to be up and running in 
30 minutes. They can learn everything in an hour. You know, the day, imagine, John, if you were shopping at a new site and you were uh, asked, you, you said, I got to buy this really, really cool sporting good. But in order to use the site, you have to go through a two-hour training process. Yeah. I mean, that's what we have here, right? Except it's not two hours, it's two weeks. Yeah. And then so a lot of that value has to come from making sure everybody in the uh, healthcare supply chain and distribution ecosystem benefits. There's manufacturers of medical devices, small and big. There's the big distributors who are, you know, very, very... Um, strong in terms of their reach across the entire industry. You've got the providers, the ASCs, and then, of course, you've got the patients. So how do you get them all in, in one place connected digitally? And fundamentally, you know, if you believe that you can create a much f- more frictionless model, then everybody in that chain benefits, right? There's, there's all this mm-hmm. admin waste in the system. So if everyone's connected electronically, then can you give enough value out so that an ASC can say, wow, I can order, I can purchase, I can pay, I can manage, I can delegate, I can authorize, and then I can get all my data at a fingertip. So I know, you know, here's how much I'm spending, here's how much inflation's impacting me, here's how much my reimbursements went down. So, you know, I should stretch out my payables because that's what I need to do, right? I gotta manage my cash flow mm-hmm. as a smaller ASC. Honestly, actually we all have to manage a cash flow now in this inflationary yeah. environment. Um, so those I think I think are, you know, some of the things that are, are really important to us. Uh, you know, I call it democratizing the ASC. We've often ignored these low cost high-quality locations from a technology perspective. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's funny, John. I, uh, I was talking to a senior uh, healthcare software executive a couple of weeks ago, and, he, and I said, how come you guys are building all this complex million-dollar software for hospitals and health systems? And uh, he goes, because that's where the money is. Mm-hmm. And that reflects the mentality that's today, which is, hey, if I don't get paid a lot of money by a hospital then it's not worth, worthy of a market. And I said, so how come you don't, so why, is that why you're not going after and trying to get products out for the surgical centers out there? He goes, yeah, they're so small, they can't afford it. What he actually meant is they can't afford million-dollar software. Yeah. But the answer is they don't need million-dollar software. They need something that is honestly free, you know? I mean, but again, the square peg round hole, right? That's why those models don't work. I think what I find interesting here is I'm thinking back, I'm, I'm actually thinking back on history too a little bit, that when I first started my first surgery center back in 1990, the doctors that owned it undercapitalized the place. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have enough money to pay some of our bills on time. Mm-hmm. And over time, some of the vendors came back and said, eh, COD. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even think that, <laughs> that term exists anymore, but, but, but for those of you that are older, um, COD means cash on delivery. So when that product was delivered to you, be it by the postal service or mm-hmm. UPS, they would expect a payment right mm-hmm. at that point. Otherwise, they wouldn't give it, give it up. Today's, you know, today's, uh, you know, many centers still have the same problem, yes. especially if they're paying by check. But what they're doing is they're paying by credit card, which makes that process, you know, very complicated. Mm-hmm. So I think, and if I, if we think about the 
general process that most ASCs have right now. You place an order, like a, a purchaser places an order. Mm-hmm. They do it online. They do it on the mm-hmm. phone. They do it in person. You mm-hmm. know, there's all different models for this. And there's a piece of paper that probably documents that mm-hmm. order going out, be a purchase order, et cetera. That purchase order then, you know, generates the uh, uh, the order on the part of the, the vendor, and then it goes to the accounting department. Then the product mm-hmm. is shipped. It's arrived. There's a shipping document that comes with it. The shipping document goes to the accounting department. Mm-hmm. And then the invoice comes from the vendor. Right. And then they match up those three documents, which is an accounting function. Right. It's a very important right. function. Make sure you ordered, you received, and that it, you were yep. billed the correct, correct amount. But in the end, um, think about how much time has been spent. Right. And the, and the difference, first of all, you know, you know, obviously you got a good cash flow situation. So, yep. so there is a flip side of this. The bad yep. side is that, you know, you're going to have to pay these things up front if you go into the model that you're suggesting, which I think is the way of the future. But on the flip side, you're reducing the amount of administrative time that is involved here by removing all of that paper flow and then focusing now on the transaction rather than on the paperwork to prove that it's a valid thing, which of course means that we need to build strong controls into yes. whatever system you have. I guess the equivalent would be, you know, with if you were placing an order on Amazon, having two people, somebody places the order, another person approves it. Yeah. And then of course, somebody is doing a reconciliation later to make sure those products were actually received. Right. No, you know, uh, it's fascinating when you talk about the cash flow aspect of it because one of the things I didn't expect, John, when talking with all of these ASC leaders, you know, especially the ones at the small, the physician-owned, like the one you worked at, is they have basic accounting systems or finance systems, Mm -hmm. and they have, you know, either a paper or a manual process for the orders themselves. As you said, the three-way match is very important. And and keep in mind, most surgery centers can't afford an integrated system. So they're going to have QuickBooks, and they're going to have, like, a third-party vendor such as the SIS. Exactly. And so you have that. They don't really talk to each other. Right. And so one of the beautiful things that's happened in the past four years is, you know, in the tech world, in just because of COVID and because of all the massive adoption of tech because of COVID, whether it's remote or telehealth or telemonitoring, we now have the ability to interconnect via APIs into QuickBooks, into mm-hmm. Sage, into Great Plains, into SAP and Oracle. Like, you know, all the, the, these, these software systems that used to be monolithic are now realizing, hey, we, we got to find easier ways to connect because right. that's what, you know, we're used to on the internet. So the fascinating thing about the cash flows is you don't have to recreate the wheel, right? But what you want to be able to do is show a dashboard to your owner that says, Mm -hmm. listen, here's your cash coming in. And by the way, Cigna is contesting your claim. So you're not going to get paid for, you know, 30 to 60 days. But in the meantime, McKesson and Medline and all the other big names that you work with are asking, hey, where's our payment? You know, we're net 15, net 30 days. Mm -hmm. And you as a small business owner are wondering about, Hey, you know, how do I actually, you know, make sure I can make payroll and do everything else and manage my cash flow appropriately? You're good for the money, mm-hmm. but you don't want to be in a COD situation. And, and, and then the major suppliers and distributors, I mean, they'll take credit cards and pay that three to five percent fee, but that's a lot for them, right? Yeah. You think about a big implant that costs five thousand dollars. Five percent is a lot. To even a J and J of the world, right? So, so that model they should be able to reduce their costs. Right. Everybody will. Everybody better. should be able to yeah. use that cost. So, the, so the cash flow situation was was fascinating um, because you weren't optimized for cash flows. And the other thing, you know, when you look at the financial ecosystem, John, ideally, right? If you're good for your 
payables. If you're a good business, you're profitable. Most ASCs are actually pretty profitable, uh, very profitable. Mm-hmm. Even with the supply chain challenges, they've got good cash flow. But they're working really, really hard to maintain that. And yet, if they were to go out there and ask for a loan from a bank, the bank would go, no, you're a small business, you know, we're not going to fund you. So there's, you know, the analogy in the consumer world, for example, is buy now, pay later or credit, right? Mm -hmm. If you want to buy something, but you don't want to pay up front, you want to pay over time, you can easily get, you know, a horrific interest rate credit card or you can get a loan, right? Or you can get one of those cash back credit cards oh, that allow you to right. hold it. I mean, that's the way to actually move the money. Plus, you'd also be getting cash back, like Some, American Express has right. a program that, right. that allows. And 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 what's what's frustrating, I believe, for a lot of the smaller owners is that for smaller ASCs is that access to financing is hard for them because they're small business owners. The banks put them through the hoops, and the banks put them through the hoops because they're like, we, we don't have enough data. We don't know your receipts, your payables, your receivables, your cash flow situation. It's all at the fingertips, but it's in paper or it's in yeah. QuickBooks, and it's not talking, right? Uh, it's an HSD or SIS. Um, and, and so if you could just simplify this and say, listen, here's the ASC profile. And here are three or four banks that were willing to be underwrite. They could, you could probably finance some of this stuff at very low interest rates. Mm-hmm. Good point. Because the ASC industry, unlike, we're not talking about a restaurant here. We're not talking about a pizza shop. Mm-hmm. This is a highly efficient, productive machine. You know, the risk of an ASC going bankrupt is very, 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 very low. Mm-hmm. But the vast majority of financial institutions don't understand that. Yeah. And so how do you, again, d- democratize and make a product that, ASCs can use to better uh, improve their cash flows, right? I mean, so if you didn't have to pay those device costs or supply costs right away, and you could get a much cheaper financing model than a credit card or a high interest loan, wouldn't you take it? You should take mm-hmm. it from a you know finance one one perspective, right? Um, and 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 when you look at um, you know when you look at again our experiences as consumers, that's what we're used to. Um, and so for, for, for me, fundamentally, you know, my dad was an orthopedic surgeon dealing with paper all the time. Um, I just felt like, oh, my gosh, if my dad were alive today, he would totally have used this. I, yeah, yeah. I want him to use this uh, because he was frustrated by every single aspect of this process. What I find fascinating about and, and one of the reasons that we connected in the beginning is how simple this concept is. And as you said, it's simple to learn because if you're, you're already using something like Amazon, and maybe perhaps many of our surgery centers are using Amazon right. for for, yeah. for purchasing. Maybe not majority of stuff, but you know for you know office supplies, you know basic cleaning supplies, things like that, stuff that can be purchased. So you already know that experience. And now mm-hmm. what you're proposing, and what I think the marketplace will be moving toward, is that type of a system. So why don't you describe, you know, what what type of a system you see uh, in the future, you know, specifically yours, obviously, um, so that the listeners can get an understanding of how this will fit into their structure. Well, thanks for the question, John. What we said at Trivalence is, first of all, it has to be healthcare professionals who have been in the space, right? This is not some, you know, really smart kid in Silicon Valley in a garage saying he knows how to do things better than a healthcare professional. So... We said the first and that understands the complexities right. of the healthcare or purchasing cycle. 
So we've got folks here who've spent 20 years, 30 years working inside an ASC, working inside a hospital, a health system, working in doctor's offices who have built some of this old software and integrated it. And so we know where all the skeletons are. We know where all the bodies are buried, so to speak. And we said, doesn't matter how great this product is, if it's not simple, easy, and mm-hmm. intuitive to use. You know, I, I pick up this iPhone, honestly, John, as a great example. This thing is as the power of a supercomputer yeah. from 15 years ago. And yet, you know, my four-year-old can pick this up and figure out how to use it. Actually, he can use it better than I can, right. you know? And, and I'm like, why isn't the design experience for B2B software and B2B products mm-hmm. not the same? Why can't you as an owner just go in and say, here's all the product catalogs and information I need for every single thing I need to order for a surgery at my fingertips so I can consolidate all the suppliers who are supplier agnostic, right? So it doesn't matter if you use J&J, Stryker, Medtronic, Zimmer, uh, Becton Dickinson, you, you, you normalize all that information. You have that giant product catalog that's at your fingertips. So when you type surgical screws, 150 options pop up and you know exactly which one is McKesson, the price of your contract that you negotiate with a GPO and boom, it pops up on a screen and then you decide your shipping option and it tells you, you know, when it can be delivered. And immediately it says, okay, do you want to pay this now? Do you want to pay it in 30 days? Do you want to pay, you know, uh, with check, bank, or credit card, do you want to just do it electronically? And again, you know, obviously we can support all of that, but the electronic model is the best because, mm-hmm. you know, you can just connect to your suppliers digitally. And by the way, John, that's the other interesting thing. You would think that in 2022, October 2022, yeah. all of these major manufacturers and device companies are electronically connected to each other. But the reality is, they're not, you right. know. We use EDI at best, but there's some folks who don't use EDI. So you can have a two million surgical robot that is one of the most amazing devices ever created. Yeah. And you have to order and manage that process with paper, which makes no sense to me. That's right. right. That's right. Uh, so we are actually connecting all of these folks electronically, creating mm-hmm. our first, you know, what I, what I like to call the super highway. Right. It's just a rail. It just connects everybody, and so. It's a network, and uh, if you connect it digitally, you can exchange information fast and in real time. And then the output of all of this ordering and purchasing is the one that's most important. I've heard CEOs say this. I've heard you know uh, supply chain managers say this, and everyone in between. The CFOs in particular are laser focused on this because they're going, "What are my metrics to judge my performance by? If I eventually want to do a value-based contract, you know, as an ASC, you know, value-based contracts are." increasingly being forced by payers uh, and by state state organizations, Medicare and Medicaid. Um, How on earth can I do a value-based contract if I don't know my cost per case, I don't know how to manage my surgeon's uh, preference items, and and that that data aspect of it. We want to empower you as the ASC owner with the data you have, Mm -hmm. but it's being lost to paper or email or fax, right? There's all this information at your fingertips. Um, even the credit card stuff, the credit card gives you a statement. It doesn't tell you, you know, where it went, how it went. It doesn't tie to your QuickBooks. Yeah. There's no good reconciliation. Um, it doesn't give you any options for slicing and dicing it to show you a consolidated picture. Here's what my financials, payables, receivables, overall, you know, cost structure looks like. So in a, in a, in a rising cost environment, 
if you are a CFO, you'd like to say, well, my materials cost went up 10%, my labor cost went up 15%, but what's my GNA look like? And ideally, you see a breakdown. You go, oh, you know what? Here are some areas where I can optimize GNA so I can maintain margins, hire mm-hmm. more, reinvest. For uh, our listeners that are nurses, that's general and administrative expenses. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Sorry. Exactly. I, I know Sue, who's going to be editing, uh-huh. is going to say, what the heck is GNA? <laughs> uh, so that that's a snapshot. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, I, I'd welcome anybody, uh, John, to just, you know, you can sign up and register for our product on trivalence.com. It's absolutely free to the ASC. We want to make it free. Um, I think my dad would have wanted it to be free. Yeah. Um, he was very, he was very, very frugal, uh, which is, I think, the, the vast majority of our ASC listeners. They, yeah. and, and the most important thing, you know, my dad cared about was taking care of the patient. Yeah. And honestly, it's shocking, John, when you go to a surgical center and the administrator is not focused on, you know, really taking as much care of the patient as he or she wants because they're dealing with they're paperwork. They're so busy and everything right? else. I mean, yeah. that's the tragedy of this. So our, our North Star has always been, if we do our job well, the patient will get much more time with whoever it is yeah. they need more time with. And, and so if we're not doing that, then we've, you know not succeed in that mission. Well, and I, I think that's been a theme of the podcast, a theme of uh, our company, Ambitory Healthcare Strategies, that I, you know, that I own, um, is that uh, we we are in an environment right now where we spend so much time on the administrative side, uh, be it regulatory oversight, compliance, you know, getting ready for surveys, purchasing cycle, uh, managing right. payroll, managing um, the hiring cycle. All of those are things that people have a challenge right now. And if we can find ways to reduce the costs associated with that and improve the efficiency. There's two sides of this. Yep. It's not just cutting costs. Yep. It's also improving the efficiency. Quite frankly, if, even if we didn't reduce the cost of it and just improve the efficiency, we're still saving money in the end. I think it, the purchasing cycle is one of those areas that we just often forget about. Mm-hmm. You know, we turn it over to somebody, they take care of it, and then we just assume that they're negotiating the best deals with the GPOs, mm-hmm. that they're you know purchasing... Mm-hmm. That they're making the, those smart decisions, but sometimes if you're so busy, if the doctor comes to you and says, or, you know, the nurse says, "I need these following supplies for tomorrow," they don't have time to figure right. that out. If they do have a tool such as trivalence, or you know, and again, people don't understand trivalence yet, right. but you think in your mind how efficient Amazon is to you, right? Uh, and and put that type of model. Amazon doesn't cost you money yeah. to use it. It costs you money to purchase things through right. it. Same thing with the Trivalent. That's the way I think about it in my head. Hopefully, I'm correct on that, right? Yes, yes, yes. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, and Amazon, you know, it's it's an open marketplace, right? Here, you've right. got a contracted rate with a GPO. you got a price that you're paying. So, it actually makes it easier. You know what you're paying. But the question is, do you have it in inventory? Is it in yeah. stock? How much more do you need? Are you optimizing your contract, right? Because if all this information is in paper, you don't really know. You think you're getting a good deal there, but uh, maybe, maybe if you looked at all the information, three different you know, options, you, right? You, exactly. might, you might you might get a much better contractual rate from yeah. your GPO or from your supplier, and uh, and that system will show you the availability of the inventory right. and the delivery. You know how quickly it can be delivered. I'm assuming too, right? Right, right. Because yeah, we we were we're, we're building a three and a half million SKU of every single imaginable supply item and device 
yeah. and normalizing all of that information with the data. So you, as a surgical center, can look at all of that and say, okay, I have my contract price with supplier X, supplier Y, supplier Z. We're updating that as they are updated on their website ends, right? They're updating their catalogs, pricing, pictures, data, descriptions. Mm-hmm. So when you see it, you're like, okay, I see this. I don't have to go to the McKesson website, the Medline yeah, website, yeah. the Cardinal site, and the 15 other things I go to go to. And by the way, if all else fails, I go to the Amazon website. Right, right, right? exactly. <laughs> Instead of needing three computer screens so you right. can compare prices, yeah, right. maybe you can do it on one. Yeah. Uh, or on your iPhone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think uh, that 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 flexibility is uh, is huge. And you know, we designed everything based on real time feedback from ASC executives, whether they were administrators, supply chain managers. Over the past four months, when we were designing, they said the number one thing is we want to take your life, your real life experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, even so, even though we've been in healthcare for twenty or thirty years each, we said, what better than to actually have the people who are doing this on a day to day basis tell us how their model right. is not working. So, And you're going to evolve the system. And we're going to evolve it, yeah. And, and they're going to give us a lot more feedback and features, and we'll keep incorporating that. But we said we, we've got to make it you know, free, simple, and easy. I think, Dustin, what it really gets down to is improving, as we talked about, the flow of information. Yes. Re- re- eliminating as much as possible those, that paper that we're generating. Um, reducing the amount of steps that are involved in the purchasing cycle without losing the ability to control, you know, having yes. those controls. You don't want yeah. purchasing manager going out and having, you know, furniture delivered to their home on the, right. on the dime of the surgery center. So there's got to be those controls, which, of course, doesn't exist in the Amazon world right. out there. So that's probably what that's where you start to diverge. But what I love about what you're talking about is that availability of of dashboard type information. We've Mm -hmm. talked about that a lot over time in our various conferences here, not so much on the podcast, but that you were inundated with information. Mm -hmm. Uh, I saw a meme uh, yesterday, Sue uh, forwarded it to me on uh, Facebook and it went, we are information rich, but wisdom poor. Yes. Yes. I I love that comment because uh, first of all, I'm going to be preaching about that this, (laughs) this, uh, this weekend. But, but second is that really what it gets down to is that we have all this information, but we're having a hard time making that decision, intelligent decisions because of that lack of information. If you can put all this stuff together in a dashboard, um, you, you know, you're, you're definitely going to improve the information flow in your organization and hopefully cut your costs, improve your efficiency, and give people more time to, to be able to take care of that patient. Yeah, I think the information, it's funny, you know, again, when you think about your, you know, how many times have you gone to a website to shop at and they have recommendations for you? Yeah. And you realize those recommendations are based on your browsing history yeah. and where you shop before, what you've purchased before. So imagine the same analog on the surgical center side. Once you've all this information now flowing through, you know, we're, we want to make recommendations. Hey, you know, you, here's what you're using. You're using 17 suppliers for DME. I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. you would probably need one or two that are reliable, but you're, you're spending all this excess energy managing, you know, a bunch of vendors that you don't really need. You use 80% of your spenders from these five folks, and the remaining 20% is, you know, 50 vendors, and maybe. You know, you need, you need, you can, we can give you recommendations on what you've actually spent mm-hmm. and how you've spent it and how you're using them. Maybe one of them is a very expensive device that's very important and you want to keep that. But as you get rich data, right? Payment data, purchasing data, order data, contract data, there might be stuff that you're returning that's obsolete. There yeah. might be recalls that you're dealing with. 
uh, you know, I mean, by the way, you know, John, recalls keeps coming up. Like, how do I track yeah, the recalls? I did, a, I, I did an implant. Yeah. Two years later, Medtronic issues a recall. There's a lawsuit. I got to call every patient. I got to track them manually. Yeah. Like, why? That, that's kind of rich data you can have at your fingertips. That's a very good right. point. That, 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 that's a major issue for us as surveyors. Right. Uh, is making sure that you have a good system. But so now when you have to make sure you got a good email, right. that you're in touch with all of your distributors as well as any, any right. other vendors. And, 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 on the, and on the supply, uh, supply and distribution side, they want aggregate information too. They want to know. How are ASCs using my stuff? How are they utilizing yeah. it? Uh, are they are they liking it? Are they not liking? It? Are they returning it back today? For them, that process is manual. They're like, okay, you didn't like this. You only used three screws instead of seven. You send the rest back. This one's obsolete. But there's no information attached to it, right? So if you did, as you described, the three-way match, the, the, the distributor or the supplier is doing a four-way match and saying, okay, here's the information. Yeah. There's a lot of information that's valuable to them. And, that, and that's what I talk about when I say value to all stakeholders. ASCs are getting the benefit, but the major suppliers and distributors and all the folks here are also getting all this information about how their products are being utilized, yeah. you know, and, and that's very important because they can say, oh, I see this product is not really working well in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. How can I think about something better that fits the need of a surgeon or a surgery? And that, you know, would be ideal for the industry, which yeah. is uh, everybody is, is sort of figuring out how that data, as you said, right? How do I get the wisdom out of this thing? Yeah, I love the thought. I, whenever I buy, we're uh, Sue and I are heavy coffee <laughs> drinkers, so you know we buy the stuff on Amazon. And you're right. Every once in a while, we'll see recommendations. Say yeah, this this coffee that we had the last time wasn't quite right, but boy, at the bottom right. there's a whole thing. Again, put that analogy into healthcare. You know, perhaps there's other options the doctors didn't even know were available to them. Right. Well, you know, if the doctors making a decision, and again, it's not always the doctors making a decision as to what those supplies are going to be used. That's mainly what mainly what happens with implants. But there are perhaps other options out there that they didn't even know was available until um, a computer system was able, the AI was able to match them up with that information. Right. Right. And these cases i mean you still have a lot of sales reps uh, you know coming in there to the mm-hmm. or and telling them about the latest features and and that probably you know doesn't necessarily go away but oh, but I'd, we'd all love it to because of the <laughs> challenges that come with that but yeah but yeah it, so so listeners that's another good advantage of this is you might be able to finally kick those uh, those salespeople out of your ors the good thing is the salespeople we get empowered because they'd actually say hey here's a much more efficient way for yeah, me absolutely. to actually show my stuff and yeah. I can, instead of having to do one visit to Pennsylvania and then Virginia and then Kentucky, I can actually go out there and, you know, spread the information about my latest whiz-bang mm-hmm. implant to 50 ASCs across the country yeah. because I have this information at my fingertips. So not only do you avoid the sales visit to OR, but from their perspective, they're going, hey, I can maybe distribute this information right, a lot better. And not take up doctor time in the OR or nurse right. time in the OR. I mean, and again, removing expenses from the system that are often very wasteful because of the the administrative costs involved in that sales function. Right. Yeah. It, you know what's fascinating is um, John when we talk with you know a lot of the bigger suppliers and distributors, they talk about increasing sales velocity through digital mechanisms. And what what they mean by that is, from their perspective, electronic capabilities to streamline this process, purchasing payments and data, reduces a lot of the admin and financial costs. Mm -hmm. But more importantly for them, it helps them get more efficient and helps their sales forces get more efficient because they're like, okay, now I can see where demand trends are and I can adjust my product and my sales efforts to focus on the areas where demand might exist. 
as opposed to having a pushy salesperson necessarily coming in and telling you, you know, you should buy this. Yeah. They can you you can use your sales feel force much more effectively from a from a supply. So hopefully, to your point about the Amazon recommendation, the recommendations you're getting are good recommendations. Right, right, good right? point. <laughs> not, yeah. not not the ones that yeah. the salesperson wants you to hear. Yeah. Uh, this has been a pleasure, uh, Dustin, and this won't be the only time we talk, obviously. Uh, so thanks so, so much for taking the time to uh, to walk us through this. Thank you, John. It's been a great conversation and looking forward to uh, the future as well. Thank you. In this segment, we provide an update on upcoming topics for the podcast, our upcoming virtual conferences, and upcoming speaking engagements for John and his staff and other events in the ASC industry. So this week, I'm going to be heading up to uh, Washington State, to Tulalip, Washington. Never been there before, Sue. Don't know what it's going to be like. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, though. Just uh, by the sound of the, just by the name. That's Can't right. Can't wait to go there. It's got to be good. <laughs> so the Washington Ambulatory Surgery Association's 2022 Annual Education Conference and Trade Show uh, will be held uh, on the November tw- 2nd and 3rd uh, at the Tulalip Resort and Spa in Tulalip, Washington. And I'll be doing a session there as well as a special episode if we can drag the equipment out and uh, get mm-hmm. it working. And the Pennsylvania Annual Meeting and Educational Conference is November 7th, 2022 at the Hershey Lodge in Hershey, Pennsylvania. You know, I always love visiting the Hershey Lodge because one of the first things they do is they hand you a Hershey bar when you get in there. Uh, it's not quite the same as what when I go to a Marriott. So just a uh, Marriott could be uh, could learn something from Hershey about uh, hand out a little chocolate. That's right. That's all we're saying. And the ASC Administrators Boot Camp for Administrators and Ambulatory Surgery Centers and those looking to become CAS certified is going to be. Uh, January 24th through the 27th, 2023. So that's our next boot camp. Uh, and remember, the, our boot camps include much more than just those four days. Uh, includes uh, mentoring, includes weekly drop-in sessions, and a whole host of other information. So for more information, visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. And ASCA's 2023 Winter Seminar is January 12th through the 14th at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm looking forward to going down there. I'm going to be Mm -hmm. doing a half day, full half day on financial uh, issues there at that conference. We do this every couple of years, and I'm uh, uh, the primary speaker during the conference for that. So we'll see. I don't think I'm going to have a chance to uh, do any gambling while I'm down there, Sue. Not that I really (laughs) like gambling. I do love the food in Las Vegas. So uh, let's... uh, uh, I think in the middle of the winter time, we'll probably have a snowstorm up here. It'll probably be a lot, a lot of fun just to get away. Mm-hmm. And AORN's Global Surgical Conference and Expo 2023 is April 1st through the 4th at the Henry B. Gonzalez Convention Center in San Antonio, Texas, one of my favorite cities, San Antonio. And ASCA's 2023 Conference and Expo is May 17th through the 20th. 2023 at the Kentucky International Convention Center in Louisville, Kentucky. And also, don't forget about all of our recorded events. They're all available on ASCPodcast.com. We've got a credentialing conference, uh, the Fall 2022 Finance and Accounting Conference, the Conditions for Coverage Conference, a Medical Director Conference, and, of course, all of our on-demand administrators and director of nursing boot camps. And please don't forget to become a patron member of the podcast. The patron program, also known as ASC Central, is an exclusive membership website that provides a one-stop ASC regulatory and accreditation compliance operations and financial management resource 
for those busy administrators, nurse managers, and business office managers. Resources include access to uh, virtual conferences, links, policies and procedures, forms, drills, drills, discounts on services, and books and access to AEU credits. And, of course, those famous drop-in sessions on Saturday morning. So for more information, visit ASCPodcast.com. And that's it for this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Galey. Please spread the word about the podcast with your friends and colleagues and do us the honor of hitting the subscribe button. The sound editor for this episode is Susan Cronkite. Executive producer is John Galey. Research assistance is provided by Susan Cronkite, Jenna Alvarez, Judy D'Ambrosio, Alex Borneman, Zach Calritis, Amy Durbano, Lori Rodericks, Kathy Foti, Donna Macchio, and Ann Geyer. Music is provided by Media Sushi and Mike Noah. And the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is hosted on Podbean and is available on all major podcast channels. This episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is sponsored by Trivalence. Trivalence offers a comprehensive next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, enabling actionable data insights. For more information about Trivalence, visit their website at trivalence.com. That's T-R-I-V-A-L-E-N-C-E.com. This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. If you're interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com.